Hi, this is Vernon Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wuxia Workshop. Today, this is going to be the Pig Iron Edition, which is like the Scrap Heap Edition, where we just kind of... Uh, it's sort of we're doing it in the holidays and we don't really know the direction of the conversation yet we have a couple of topics but nothing's really planned and uh and there may be background noises because it is the holidays so you know you may hear children or whatever we're not going to be able to contain that too much so so just expect some uh some distractions occasionally uh but today uh both of us have topics we want to talk about involving things we're working on but first, I know there was a topic that Joel wanted to get to about GM determinism and random tables. There's apparently been this whole discussion online involving this that I was unaware of, which he brought to my attention. And so he's going to tell me what it is, and I'll try to weigh in. Again, I haven't really been following this discussion, so hopefully I can I can add something to the to the you know to the the conversation that hasn't been repeated a million times. But uh, why, why don't why don't you uh, why don't you just explain what the discussion was? Oh, sure. Yeah, it actually it piqued my interest quite a bit because going into it, the third title is very promising. It was talking about uh, GM determinism, which as far as I can tell from the initial post was like um, a discussion of like GM railroading mm -hmm. where you have like a set of encounters or, or, you know, circumstances and you have a more or less linear way that they're going to happen in the game. Mm -hmm. And no matter what choices the players make as far as exploration or who they talk to, or what they choose to do, or who they choose to fight, or whatever, they're always going to get either that exact thing or something very close to it. And uh, and central to that, one of the uh, the bugaboo techniques of that is something called a quantum ogre, which I actually like the name of that quite a bit. The basic thing is, you as a GM have decided there's going to be an ogre next, they're going to fight an ogre, they have a few different doorways, like they've got you know left one, right one, north one, it doesn't matter with the Quantum Ogre which one they open. Like in a traditional game, it matters. If yeah. they open the one to the left, there's no Ogre in that room. It's not keyed there or even it rolled on the chart or whatever. But in the Quantum Ogre theory, the Ogre's in whatever room they go to. No matter which direction they choose to go, the choice is irrelevant. The next thing that happens is they're going to fight an Ogre. And um, that got brought up in the context of random charts. And the comparison was made where it's like, hey, wait, if no matter which way they go, they're going to get a Quantum Ogre. How is that different? This is the, the core question that piqued my interest. How is that different from rolling on a chart which has an ogre on it? And that that's been the topic of discussion and banter back and forth on this thread. Can I, can I just state the basic difference? Yeah, go ahead. You're rolling on a chart <laughs> and you don't know the result yet. I mean, yeah, uh, those are my points. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, obviously, there's a degree of determinism, um, but the but I would say the purpose of the random table, like I'm assuming like for sake of example, because I think specifics matter when people talk about random tables in general, that could mean so many different things. It could mean yeah. I'm rolling on a table during a wilderness uh, journey, or I'm rolling on a table to determine what's in a room, or I'm rolling on a table to determine what event takes place in a town in the mm -hmm. next 10 minutes. Those are all very different things. But I'm assuming like if you're you know wandering through the wilderness and you roll on a random table, Number one, there's usually some kind of check to see if there's even an encounter in the first place. And mm. the players can do things to mitigate the chances of an encounter arising. Number two, the table is just a tool. The table is not, um, the table is not set in stone. And typically, the tables are generally connected to the direction the players are traveling anyways. Like if you have, if they're in, like if, if your tables are sufficiently uh, developed for your world, 
if they go north through the yellow forest, they're going to encounter different things than if they go south through the banyan. Do you know what I mean? Those are going to have different encounter tables. So you've already eliminated the quantum ogre effect by by allowing the player's choices to actually affect what the encounter is based on the nature of your, you know, again, if you, if you make crappy encounter tables, yeah, you might get a quantum ogre, but, but I don't know that, I don't know that randomness and encounter tables are to blame for people's inability to make good tables. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of the way the discussion has been leaning and it's sort of um, solidified into two general camps. Uh, the, The first, the first camp, the, the guys who originally made the post have a very different idea about what determinism and free agent and like player agency and, and will is in a game in the second camp. The second camp kind of agrees with that. And I, that was a point I made in the thread where too, where I was like, look, if you randomize whether there will be an encounter, whether or not it will be an ogre, um, how far away the ogre is, um, how, what it react, how it reacts to you whenever you encounter it, how many ogres there would be, and you link that directly to charts that are only in places where an ogre would reasonably be. You've what's left of the quantum ogre argument? You know that's not that isn't me putting it anywhere that you're going to choose. That is keying it to something where it could trigger. That's clearly yeah. a different thing. Yeah. But the first camp doesn't seem to. I don't know if they don't understand that, or if like, I don't know if this is a willful ignorance thing, or and I, or if they're like just completely defining player agency in this well, other way. Well, there are people who define it differently. I was in a conversation on Endworld where there was a discussion of player agency, and it was clear by the end of it that my definition of player agency was almost the complete opposite of, of the other person that I was talking with. And there was really no right way to reconcile those two definitions. Do you yeah, because I mean? we're using the same words to, to define different things, which is always bad. Well, because in, in my, my, my sense of player agency is there's a world you exist in or a setting or an adventure you're playing in and your ability to choose to attempt to do whatever you want to do and have the GM respond in a, in a, in a fair way that is a re like he's really try he or she is really trying to, to decide what consequence your actions would have or whatever. Uh, that's player agency for this person. It was more about your ability to, to affect the course of the game outside of your character. Do you know what I mean? Those yeah, are two very like, different understandings. I'm sorry? Yeah, and that's what I'm running into in this thread, too. Camp A seems to believe that player agency means you get to be partly the GM. Yeah, yeah. Which you can do. And I don't, like, I don't want to hate on those kind of games, because some games I really think are great. They're not like up my alley exactly, but I think they're amazing. Do that. Uh, uh, Chubo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine, all the stuff that Jenna Moran writes is very similar to that where essentially it's a table full of storytellers and you just kind of pass the baton around and who has like the the most ability to influence not just like the what's happening with the characters but the context that's happening in and like which rules apply and well, just everything everything no I'm, f- I'm totally <laughs> fine with that place like i've played games like that i don't have an issue with, with those kind of games what i have an issue with though is people co-opting an existing term and <laughs> redefining it in order to win an argument and so I, I think that I think what they're describing isn't player agency, at least not as most people, at least for like the past 10 years. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not it's not how we've understood the term. What they're describing is player authority, because the closest thing that it approximates to is GM authority, you know, not 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 GM agency. So I would I would argue that a better term for what they're talking about, if we don't want confusion in the discussion, which is what that term 
when, when, when the term is used that way, it creates confusion. I would say uh, what they're really talking about is player authority. And, 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 that's, and, that's, and then we can have a real conversation because player authority is a thing. That's, that's, you know, what, what they're advocating for is giving players greater authority over, over you know, things that normally the GM would, would, would have control of, say. Yeah, and it does kind of to draw them into the the meta game at the table, which I like meta game even in traditional games. But that's the sort of thing where you're talking about defining which rules work at the table. A little different. Yeah, no, it's, it's very different. And player agency, I mean, as it's always been used, it's just been about it's 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 been about the railroad. That's what it's that's the the, the you know when when people talk about their their agency being disrupted as a player, they're talking about their inability. To, to have make meaningful choices through their character, you know? So I think, um, I, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe I'm missing something. That's at least been my understanding. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, the gaming community has historically been very fragmented and existed in pockets. And so, I don't know, maybe people, maybe people in one part of the country or one part of the world meant something else by player agency than the people I, I was around. But I, for me, it always meant, you know, what we're talking about now. And, and the and the ability to to impact the game in in GM like ways, I think is um, is more about an authority issue. Uh, so, you know, again, I don't know. I, 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 that's how I would distinguish it. But I think we're sort of losing sight of the the core question that you raised, which was um, which was railroading, and and the, yeah. That's- there's another shade in this thread that actually uh, it was a real beard scratcher for me. I want to get your ideas on it because I don't. I've yet to really form a solid opinion mm-hmm. beyond the one I came into it with, but it's actually got my gears turning. So I wanted to bring it up to you later on in the thread. Uh, whenever the camps got a little more set, the the guys in in Camp B, like the the guys that generally agree with me, some of them came up and were really hostile towards random encounter tables. Like one guy was even like, "I never roll on a fucking encounter table," but. Everything else he described was very much how I would run stuff. He was like, I want player choices to matter. Mm-hmm. I want where they go to matter. And like, but the thing that where, where he diverged from me was in his attitude towards the table itself. Because like, his thing was he would choose where there would be an ogre, and that would be a likely place for an ogre to be. And he would place the ogre there yeah. without preparing it beforehand. Right? And if, if it were me, that would have already been in a chart, and I would have rolled it to see if the ogres in the area did show up. Yeah. So my, my thing in that is, like, that's kind of a different camp that I think about. I wanted to get your ideas on it. No, I mean, that's why, that's why you know, when you make a table, you sort of, a, you, you have to get a sense of the probabilities, and you need to construct the table along, you know, you know, like, if, if, if you know that, that there are ogres in the area, and you're doing a, um, you know, like a 2D10 table, which is the ones that I prefer, then you're going to want to put a result that's somewhere, you know, in that middle zone of the curve so that it comes up frequently. Do you know what I mean? But if you know that there really aren't that many, um, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know, what would be, what, what kind of world are you, were, were, was this set in? I think it was really just kind of a standard, like, D&D world. Okay, all right. So, so if there aren't that many knolls in the area, right, you might put them closer to like an eighteen or or three or a two or something like that on the on the table. And when they come up, it's a rarity, and you kind of as the GM would need to explain the reason why that creature showed up in the first place. Do you know what I mean? But, but I think that's again, random tables are just tools, and they're only as good as 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 the, as, as as you've constructed them to be. So, the 
you know, I think people are focusing on the rolling of the table and not talking as much about the construction of the table, maybe. And that's right, and what it actually represents in the yeah. world. And that, there's that too. So I think that hostility can be explained there. I think that people, when they see the dice rolling, they're like, oh, it's pulling a pleosaur out of the nowhere, putting it in the middle of a dungeon. That was actually brought up as a, a specific example. And like, but, okay, yeah, bad table will do that, granted, or an inappropriate table will do that. But at the same time, like you said before, Ravenloft exists because someone rolled vampire on a table in a dungeon and had yeah. to figure out why the vampire was there. So they can be great tools for creativity. No, they can, and that's and that's part of what you're supposed to do. If I mean, and, and you can, you know, that, that's that's the first question I always ask myself when I roll on a table: Why is this thing here? And so, in a lot yeah. of my games, you know, one of the main things that comes up are like soldiers and officials and things like that. So I need to make a decision: Why are these guys here? Okay, maybe that you know, let me see. Have they? Is it reasonable if they would have heard about the PCs that they were, you know, seeking them out for some reason? And, 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 and it's, it's kind of like just a, a way to get yourself to ask questions about what's going on so that you can, you, you can produce something that fits the, the events. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, oh, yeah. it's not, you're not no. just supposed to plop it down without explanation. Um, right. It's not like you open a door and there's an ogre. It's, yeah. it's like, no, we know there's ogres in the area. We, we have that foreshadowed because it's on the table and that means it's in the world, which means people are talking about it and there's rumors about it. If you ask a barkeep, you know, what are we going to face when we go into the swamp of despair? Oh, man, look out for them ogres. And you can say that. You, you need to, like, just freewheel that as a GM because all you got to do as a GM is look at your notes, look at swamp of despair, check out the encounter table. There's ogres on that. Look at your key. Oh, there's a there's a place where there's some ogres. Mm-hmm. You just tell them that. that. That flows directly from this really kind of, like, um, it's really bare bones prep of an encounter table and a map and a key, you know, nothing huge. But you you link that to the world and it makes it very real for the players. I mean, when I started, I was um, I was very reluctant to use encounter tables because I was Ravenloft GM and those were always all about the planned encounters. And it, the the argument behind them made sense. You were supposed to maximize the sense of horror and atmosphere, and that's very difficult to do if you're rolling on a random table and doing it on the fly. But here's what I would argue. I think as as well intentioned as that was, it actually weakened my GMing abilities for a time because I wasn't forcing myself into uncomfortable zones. And what random tables do is they push they push push you into an uncomfortable spot because rather than construct the encounter in advance and take all the sweet time in the world to make it the perfect encounter, you're which is what they were advocating for, and that's why we weren't rolling, or at least not rolling as much. Um, you know, you you're just rolling on a table and a result comes up and you have to make you have to make it work in that moment. And I think, you know, the natural state of an RPG is that. I mean, RPGs are all about the players do something and you have to respond. And so, you know, I, I would just recommend random tables to people as a tool just to kind of strengthen that muscle a little bit. Like maybe they're not your thing. Maybe 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 you don't want to use them all the time. But I would certainly say try using them occasionally just so that you are, are, are stretching your comfort zone a little bit in terms of the encounters that you use. Um, you know, that's mainly the, mainly the reason I use them is so I'm not always picking the same thing to come up in. And, you know, like I, I probably have my go-to subconscious encounters, you know, and, and a random table will, will, will help dislodge that a little bit. And, and also, oh, go ahead. They're really old. Like the, the red box and older encounter tables are super cool for that because there's really kooky stuff on them. Yeah. So, yeah. You no, can get your whole be. of those, those are neat. So, I mean, 
so I think on the one hand, you want your concounter tables to make sense, but you also want some surprises on them that you have to explain. And you also can update them. And and like I said, the it's the building of them that really gets you thinking about the content of the area in the first place. You know, you know, you're not just sort of, you know, say, say, say it's, you have an encounter table for a city. I always make different encounter tables for different cities. And, yeah. and I think, you know, that's a great way to think about well, what's in the city. What, you know, you know, cause it's very easy to come up with four things. It's not that easy to come up with 20 or 40 or, you know, a hundred different things, depending on the kind yeah. of table you're constructing. So, it's it's also another important thing. It's hard to talk about that city and what's in it and what it's like without a table like that, without a, a key that tells you what is actually in it. Even in the game, like other, what, what do you make the other the NPCs say when someone asks them about Magnificent Ink? What is Magnificent Ink like? Well, if you have nothing, like if you don't actually know what it's like, then you're not going to be able to genuinely tell the players what it's like to the agency of the of the NPC. And furthermore, if you do make something up and you don't follow through on that, there's going to be a big dissonance for them. You'd be like, I guess that guy was lying. And also, it doesn't mean that there aren't other things that are defined. Like, I think what people assume is it's all just random tables all the time. But the random no. tables reflect the more rooted content of the city. So if I have a city, oh, yeah. I'm going to have I'm going to have quarters and I'm generally going to give quarters different TNs for encounters and things like that. And I might mm. even make different tables for different parts of the city. But oh, what yeah, I'll I, also do... I just got done writing rules that do that. Yeah, so. that's that's a perfect way to do it. And then I'll also have, like, say I have factions in the city. Those factions need to be represented on my encounter tables. And the encounter tables are just an easy way of sort of uh, automating the introduction of some of these um, some of these factions and some of the elements that are going to come up and because you're setting it to the correct probabilities it creates a believable feeling of a city when you do it right uh, yeah if if it's been invaded by i don't know the red ribbon army or whatever so and you have like 75 percent of the table as red ribbon army encounters it'll feel like it's stuffed with yeah. occupying soldiers but, very uh, cool but i mean i mean a short of giving the players the ability to decide what they encounter I, i'm i'm at a loss to if if how how do you get around the quantum ogre problem by the standards that a lot of these posters seem to have? Because whether I roll on a table or whether I decide or whether I plan it out in advance, it's it's still kind of a it's still something that's like you know. Well, I guess, I guess if I plan it out in advance, it's not a quantum ogre, right? Because well, here's the thing that that I'm intrigued in uh, when it comes to choosing, I do not do that almost ever. For me, it is 100%. It's on the key or it's on the encounter chart, and that's it. Mm -hmm. The players aren't specifically seeking it out and doing it, or if it's not getting rolled and it feels like it's the world in motion. I never decide that there's an ogre. I don't do quantum ogres. But here's my question. Is it justifiable to do them? Like that guy I mentioned before, when he's like, I decide if there's an ogre there based on whether that's reasonable, how justifiable is that? Oh, that's totally justifiable, I think. I think that's not a quantum ogre, though, because a quantum ogre is I go... I go to the north side of town, there's an ogre there. I go to the south side of town, there's an ogre there. No matter, it didn't matter which direction I went. What mattered was the, I was going to have an encounter with an ogre because the GM decided we were going to have an ogre encounter. But what this GM is saying is, no, the players are in the city and they decide to go north. And I say, hey, would there be ogres north or not? Do you know what I mean? That's the, he, he hasn't decided, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, he's making a rational decision that's you know and so it's not like there's always going to be an ogre there regardless of what the players are doing the, 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 
they were clearly being ogre in Ogretown, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's based on it's based on the you know the plausibility of it. And he's not even necessarily starting with an ogre as the possibility. What he's supposed to be doing is saying, "Hey, they went north. What's in the north of the city?" If he's not mm. using an encounter table or something, because it's great if you've planned out everything in advance, but maybe they go to some area you haven't planned out. You know, the game needs to continue. You have to make a decision. You have to think of what's there, and and so, you know, I mean, you, your options are limited in terms of what you can do. You can you can just say, "Well, there's nothing," you know, because I don't want to do the quantum ogre. Oh, it's the earth. Yeah, the end. it's it's empty. You know, but your freedom is intact. You know, or you can you know you uh. You make a rational choice about you know what uh what's there. Uh, so I think here, here's what I think. I think I think that little quip I just made kind of encapsulates some of the issues going on here. Your freedom is intact. Yeah, you, that was good. You you can't you can't like you can't you can't build your campaigns around around an ideology. Do you know what I mean? Like uh like too. I think too often we get caught up in. And this is the way that I run games. And these are all the good things. And these are all the bad things. And if I do any of the bad things, then then the world is going to end. And my game, you know what I mean? It, 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 we take this to a really extreme level. All that matters is, is your campaign functioning? Like, is, are people happy? Is, it, is, is there life still in your campaign? If, if you, you, can, you can kill a campaign adhering to, you know, well-intentioned, gaming ideology i've yeah, done I, it i have over prepped games to death before so you can do happens. it a million different ways so you know i mean if you're in a situation where the players are going to the north of town and you have to make a decision i wouldn't worry about am i doing a quantum ogre or not i would worry about is the you know is the game enjoyable is you know do the players feel like you know the the, the reasons that they're at the table are 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 uh, are are being met by my GMing, and so and part of that is you know some of your players are going to expect player agency, so you're going to be thinking in those terms. But I, I just don't think that uh, I, I I think I think fretting, like like really dissecting it too much and being like, well, everything's a quantum ogre when you really break it down, you know, except for you know this one thing. I, I don't know. I just like... I don't a problem with like not defining their terms very well a lot of cases because a lot of a lot of the thread is just that where it's clear people aren't really talking about the same thing you know yep. unfortunately our hobby being as as loosely knit and as inclusive as it is i think those are good qualities generally but when it comes to online discussion we, and a lot of passionate nerds get around and we start defining terms alone without talking to everyone else there's going to be some streams crossed no, and I, and I'm guilty as much as anybody else. I used to do that all yeah. the time, but like I, I I I mellowed a lot, and I realized like the you know, especially since I was doing I I, you know, it's one thing to run a single campaign and to be involved in multiple RPG discussions, and you know, you know, a lot of it's very theoretical. But I I started running multiple campaigns a week at a certain point, and when I was doing that, I realized all that matters is that my campaign survived. Like I like this is like this is like crisis level gm running right like when you're running when you're running three or four campaigns a week you 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 that's you don't care about the um you know the stupid things that people bicker over as much you care about okay like is this actually working like that's a great beautiful idea you're talking about in that thread but i just tried it and it failed in every single you know what i mean it's 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 one of these things where you you uh i i think that you know it, 
real 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 GMing and real running of games is not the same as online discussions. And, yes, yes, very yes. Yeah. Uh, you, if you, it's incredibly important to to test it at the table and to actually keep an open mind about what the results really are. Uh, if if you have a great theory, and I see this happen a lot online, the kind of theory crafting without any real play. You can have all the theories you want. It's great. You can have all the ideas and all the points. You can make really good arguments online. It absolutely does not matter if you go to the table and they all fall apart. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <clears throat> that's exactly it. It, it. Because, you know, you, your players don't care how brilliant you look on a forum. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I encounter <laughs> that routinely. Like, you know, I, I mean, I could say them a million times. Like, you know, but this should be working. You know, RPG Net, you know, I, I, I you know, I, 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 I was winning Justin the Alexander argument. Alexander said this. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're not having fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually took the, the jockeying, the dungeon advice from him, and because of my own experience with it, it became a horrible mess at the table. My players hated it at first. So you're right. It's not about having a great idea. It's about having great execution of the idea. Yeah. And, and the thing is, not every idea is going to work at every table. You know, I've been at tables where, where World in Motion Sandbox works brilliantly, where my players... That's what they're there for, and they love it when I give when I give them that experience. But I've also had players who just don't want that. Do you know what I mean? And like, what am I supposed to do if I have a table that is like two people who are in the sandbox and three people who really aren't? Am I supposed to like rigidly adhere to my love of sandbox, or am I supposed to be like, okay, this is a different venue? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like being it's like being a professional performer. If you're if you're you know you can you could be Axl Rose and throw a tantrum. When, when, you know, when, when the, the venue isn't your, your, your natural, you know, state, or you can be like a more response, like who's, who's a responsible performer that, you know, um, I get, I guess, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, but you know what I'm saying? Like you could be, you, you know, you, you, uh, you need to be somebody who, uh, uh, adapts to the room and, and can, and could perform and, and, you know, I, I, a lot of the online discussion is sort of more like, no, don't adapt. You know, yeah, always do die the same on this thing, hill. Yeah. It, and, and, yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of good RPG discussions. So I don't want to belittle it because I participate in forum uh, discussions a lot. What was that? This discussion is growing out of that one. So I think it's important to go on forums where you don't necessarily agree with people. You oh, know, I do that, that, yeah. that lightning. No, I do that all the time. That's why, like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I spent a lot of time, for example, going into storygames.com. And they have very different ideas than I do about RPGs. But what, what I like is I like, to get the, I like to get the argument from the horse's mouth. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like I don't want I, I to get a secondhand argument from, you know, a segment of the gaming community. I want to go to the people that actually make the argument and then... You know, it's 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 like the difference in in say martial arts between like a real actual sparring match between people who are actually trying to hurt each other and one step sparring where the person is not even resisting what you're doing, and so I would much rather have the live sparring match with people. Yeah, another thing that happens, unfortunately, a lot nowadays is a thing that I, I hated what happens in my real life. Now it's happening all over the place online. I'm, I'm watching it happen, and I'm just like, oh my god. Which is, I don't understand that person's argument, but they're in my don't like person list, so I will make up what I think their argument is without researching it, and then respond to that. Yeah, that happens yeah. a lot online. And like, if you're gonna curate who you listen to, don't then go back and put words in their mouth and judge those words that you made up, because you're wrong. 
at least have the courtesy of actually seeing the argument and attempting to understand it from their perspective before you totally disregard it. Well, that's that's, that's gotten particularly bad lately. I, I, I mean, I've, I've sort of withdrawn from a lot of those kind of things, but like I feel like um, <coughs> you need to you need to almost give yourself the luxury of frequent memory loss and online discussions because if you don't you're just going to hold it against people you know what i mean like you'll see a person's name you're like oh he's the guy that says this all the time so you know he can't possibly be right about how to run a good mystery adventure and you know uh he might be you know i what there was a there was one poster who uh i didn't get along with on a forum at one point and i started doing that every time this poster said something i looked at it in the worst possible light and, and it, an asshole. I was yeah. I was being a bit of a jerk, and at one point, I but I felt really self righteous about being a jerk because I thought the guy was so bad. And then at one point, he said, "Hey, you know, like he basically said to me, like the, you know that 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 it was all my fault because I had said something previously that was unwarranted." And I and and so rather than be like, "No, that's you know it was your fault," I uh, I went and I looked at the history of the conversation. I found out he was right. I had actually started the uh, I had started the the feud that we were in with a really unnecessary comment, and and so I ended up apologizing to him. But then that opened up the door to him and I understanding each other, and and I found out we had all kinds of interesting things in common in terms of like music that we liked and stuff. So um, so I learned a lot from that experience of, you know, you can't you only you only get a glimpse of a person online, and it's very easy to build. Uh, a monster out of just a few details in your head. Do you know what I mean? Like this person represents everything I hate about gaming. So I will never be on the same page as them. But, you know, you, you can often learn more from people that you disagree <clears throat> with than you agree with online. So, um, yeah, this is true. Although I will, I will say in addition to that, there are people that are complete asshats. Oh yeah, there are. But that like routinely in, in this thread itself, there's at least a couple of people who, even after extremely good counterpoints were made, instead of even responding to it, even acknowledging them, just went back to something initially that they said and repeated it point for point, and then asked this question as though in complete ignorance of everything that had just been talked about. If you do that, you're clearly not in it for the discussion. You are in it to draw out a point. You are begging the question of people. That, and that's intellectually dishonest, and I hate it. And you should feel ashamed of it, whoever well, you are. But that's but but then think of it this way: like you don't have to respond to that. Like like the the, no. the, the, the people like that only are empowered by the fact that that you know you that you feel compelled to to quote them and then respond to it. Just if if somebody's like my attitude now is well, if if I see somebody doing that, I just don't respond or. I make I, I respond to like one point. Do you know what I mean I won't respond to their eighteen points and get dragged into this sort of you know uh, litany of you know quote boxes that you uh, just just make a single point so you can keep it focused. But um, but also people like that they'll eventually get bored I think and, and resume a normal style of conversation unless you know unless they're just you know endlessly amused by. Uh, they have to be there there are some people on there one guy in particular I'm not going to name him but like one guy in particular always makes a different version of the exact same thread Mm. and he's been doing this for like three years because I I encountered him a few years ago when I started working on Tian Shang and I'm like okay I can respond to this guy and we'll have a discussion like adults and that happened for a little while and then he just went directly back to his original point as though he I'd never spoken 
and he's okay. been there for the last few years. And like every once in a while, he'll make a new thread, which is a spin on that same exact topic. I think he just gets his jollies making people argue. Well, also, you know? some people also just have like one issue they really like to talk about. Do you know what I mean like that's like their pet issue that they think about all the time? Yeah, which um, is great if you grow and change and learn stuff. But if you're just going to trumpet the point you made three years ago, despite literal years of intelligent, articulate counter responses that you really should be at least accounting for in the OPs of these threads you're making, you're just a dickhead. Well, I, see, I, don't, I don't know. I would agree with that. I think like I think I think what we're doing is we're giving people. Like again, it's, it's. I guess I guess what what I, what I what I try to do in online discussions now, especially since they've gotten so heated, is I the the first thing I do is I try to remember that you know the person on the other end is like an, a living human being. There's a human there somewhere, even though it might not be apparent, especially in cases like the one you're describing, where you know they can they can seem like mammoth jerks. But I I do try to remind myself that these are you know these are human beings, and 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 that. Uh, and I don't know that I, I I think I think it's easy to forget that in an online discussion because you just see the icon of their profile, and oftentimes, especially in the gaming community, people will choose the most somebody a face that's very easy to hate. Do you know what I mean? Like if like like if you if somebody's got like that say, like, I'm, I'm sorry. I put my real face up there in the smuggest position I can, so I'm super easy to hate online. So yeah, and so and and I'll, and I'll bet people in, when they imagine you, Joel, they imagine you. Ex- with that expression all the time. You know I, mean? I know, right? They do. I've had people like respond to me like I'm some millionaire. And I'm like, dude, I live in a trailer, but I look really smart, like schmaltzy and fancy in this picture. They're responding to the picture. No, and that's and that's sort of the point. You know, I, I I'm able to see you in these conversations. You know, when we when we when we record the show, so like I can see the you know the diversity of expressions on your face over the course of the of the discussion, and it's much harder to hate somebody when you've sort of you know like there it's 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 easy to hate like an avatar and a posting style you know what i mean but yes. if, but if but it, it's like the classic situation if you've ever had anybody you couldn't stand in school but most of it was superficial you know what i mean like most of it was to do with style or clicks or uh, yeah, I don't, not really understanding the person is super fancy what a dickhead but then you get to know him and it's like no he's an art guy he just yeah. likes the way he looks i mean you know, I, I think I think I think online stuff has just amplified that tendency that we have to yeah, that to think tendency. that way. Yeah, because because I feel like, especially in the past five years or so, it's I, I feel like I'm back in high school sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a real high school vibe to the online community nowadays, which is very um, it makes me very unhappy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't remember the high school years being very good years. A lot of people are like, oh, it's the best years of my life, and I'm like. You must have been such an asshole in high school. Oh. I mean, I couldn't get out of high school fast enough. By the time I was done, I was, I was so like, and and I realized the world isn't like that. The world is not divided into those cliques. But it's that getting was, back there, man. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. So so I don't know. I mean, I think um, I mean we're kind of getting away from the original topic, but I guess it's pertinent because I think what you're saying is a lot of these discussions. A lot of what they come down to isn't even necessarily the points being made. It's oftentimes just about the camps, right? It's often about the. It, it is sometimes, and like, like the 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 jerk poster I was talking about earlier. It's you have to at some point you got to start kind of digging into someone's motivation for posting what they post, and it's pretty clear this guy's motivation is to, to either trumpet this one point 
like propaganda almost, or to stir a pot of controversy for their own amusement. And nothing else could possibly be the reason, unless they're completely just an idiot and don't That's understand. A possibility how. though, they could be a moron, or they could, you know. But that doesn't leave any good possibility because either there's a moron who won't shut up. Or there's a guy who wants to use propaganda to make this one point about gaming the only way people do things. Or they just want to stir up controversy to ruin people's days. There's, there's no good option. No, there's another there's option. There is another option, which is that they're a true believer in a, in like, in a, in a very misguided idea. And so, Is that better? <laughs> I think so. I mean, it, it, it's at least a, because it suggests that the person isn't necessarily being a jerk intentionally and that, that there's room for them to adjust their behavior down the road. Um, After three years, I've hit my limit with this particular well, dude. No, and that's fair. I think what, but again, what I what I realized, I mean, and you know, obviously it's different. So much more person. forgiving. Me. It, it, I had like I had like two posts this guy's made, and I'm like, that enemy for life. Everything he says, I'm going to humiliate him. But it, so, and it, like, but obviously, oh. if it if it's just limited to posts on a forum, I would say just ignore the person if that's how you feel. Like that's that's what I've learned to do. There's an ignore button. I do it. I use it. I've used it a lot lately. Yeah. So. Well, you don't even have to use the ignore button. Just don't respond. Like if somebody posts a stupid post that you think is, you know, motivated by something that's just not, you know, worth your time, I just wouldn't respond to it. Um, you know, because I think that just feeds it anyways, right? Like if people like like if like so, say say for the sake of argument, he is there to stir the pot. Then that's exactly what he wants, right? He wants you to. Right, that's what's going to happen. But here's the thing: if you don't at least make your argument. You eventually kind of invite those jackasses to be the only ones talking on the forum. So you have new people coming in to a gaming forum about elf games, and the only ideas they have that are consistently presented are these loud, obnoxious, completely wrong ones that won't work at a table. Well, and like, this is this is the kind of stuff that like that makes forums splinter into yeah. other completely different forums. And gets people ostracized from otherwise good forums and turns them into cesspools. And, like, it's happened a lot recently. There's been a lot of, we're going to divide and it won't be good for the hobby. Uh, well, it's Again, it's without so, knowing this, you know, I mean, I, I think the, um, I think in those cases, I don't, I don't know what. Sorry for introducing that, but, like. Well, I didn't catch that? Uh, that's kind of a thorny one. I'm sorry for introducing that, but, like, no, I feel no, but strongly I, that you need to make good points. No, I, I get yeah. what you're saying, um, but I guess what I'm wondering is because I've been in these discussions too, and I've felt compelled to respond to things when I've been like, "This point needs to be made against this yep. argument." But I often wonder if somebody's wandering into a forum for the first time and they see a discussion, will they will they take an idea more seriously if I am constantly engaging the stir, the pot stirrer, or will they mm -hmm. take an idea? more serious or less seriously if I just leave it hanging. Do you know what I mean? Like if I don't even, I, I think it can depend on what's being said. If the person makes good points, then you should obviously respond to them. But if they make an idiotic argument, then nobody responding to that argument is also pretty telling to anybody who enters the forum, you know? It, it can be. The, the problem I've been seeing in a, in a few different forums, and I'm, I'm not going to, point at forums and name names here because every forum this happens every forum in some little corner some get bigger some get smaller but a lot of times what i see is a lot of people that don't seem to really like they they're on a side and they all kind of just parrot and agree with each other without really engaging the other side and whenever like the intellectually dishonest element gets to be more or less in charge of the whole forum either because they've driven everyone who is interested in discussing the stuff out or whatever 
you wind up having whole forums of people that have a real groupthink problem that are a gigantic voice because we don't have a big hobby. But that's you know, a, any forum that does that is going to be a big deal. I mean, I, I agree with you because I don't like echo chambers and I don't like people saying that you know you have to toe this line to be present in the conversation. But it's also kind of the default state of humans. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how people yeah, tend to be. True. So, I mean... You know, I mean, it's 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 stupid, and I wish people didn't behave that way. But we have whole periods of history where people behave that way. You know, I mean, yes, you know what I'm saying? True. So, like, but it would be uh, nice if people studied those periods of history and realized that we don't have to do that. And when we do, it sucks really bad. Well, I think I think I think everybody could benefit from, you know, keeping in mind the possibility that could be wrong about something. Um, yes. you, know, you know, but like, but I mean, I don't know. I mean. People tend to divide into factions, and that's sort of the way of things. And oftentimes, people will agree with anybody that seems to be wearing their jersey. Um, I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well sometimes. But like, uh, I don't know. I, I try not to do that. I, I, I think um, I think that you know, because a lot of what is because I mean, you're right. Like, obviously, we should be having productive discussions on forums. But forums aren't just about intellectual arguments. They're also about people seeking out some kind of community that they're maybe not getting elsewhere. That, so, that's true. And there, there are a lot of posts I've seen where, like, I, I'm kind of baffled by them. Uh, like, a post will come up and it'll be like, I like this thing! And they just, like, rave about it for a little bit. And, I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I would never make a post like that, exactly. I mean, I'm, I was, probably I'm, guil- I'm probably guilty of doing that, because if I like something, I'll just talk about it forever. But, um, but I mean... I, I, again, I think, I don't know. I, I don't really care when people do stuff like that. Like that's sort of a, like say somebody posts something that's enthusiastic and I have no interest. I just ignore it. Um, yeah, I don't feel bad for ignoring it. Because a lot of times something I'm not enthusiastic about or something I really don't like. Like oh, there was one of them that was like um, share. Uh, this is something we were talking about actually. The whole like share GMing thing. Like someone was really enthusiastic about it. That's great. I'm really glad they're enthusiastic and that kind of positivity is great for the hobby. Not my thing. And I feel bad because, like, I don't even have anything to say about it. I sort of want to just go in and, you should. I don't know. Like, why, why would you weigh in? Like, that's sort of like, like, um, I mean, if somebody, if somebody likes something, if somebody dislikes something that I like, I don't care. If somebody likes something that I don't like, I don't care. It's not, it has no impact on me at all. It's, it's, I think the, the line where it has an impact for me, because I, I agree with you in general, like, especially in just everyday life. But, like, when it comes to the online space, there is an impact there is whenever it's and the line is when they're they dislike something or they like something that's fine whenever they make an argument that the thing that i like or that i have actually experienced and do is bad because of the thing they like or that their their thing is objectively the best or better or anything like that any argument where they're trying to convince other people is up that's where it starts influencing me because i got new players coming into the hobby it's getting more popular it's great but if they go in through the filter of all those prejudices without actually learning it for themselves, they're going to be insufferable at the table. And I'm going to have to basically deprogram people or, or not even be able to play with certain people because they've already decided how something is supposed to go before yeah. they experienced it. Well, and again, but though, that sort of comes down to what I was talking about, like how ideology can sort of be this thing that that limits your ability to, you know, somebody like I like we've all had the experience of somebody comes into the game group and they have a very specific idea of the kind of game they like and they're very inflexible about it and that type of person can ruin a game that 
five other people are enjoying enthusiastically. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But I think yeah. what you're describing is more of a personality trait than, you know, like not everybody is going to go online, see these arguments and adopt this really rigid sense of this is how I have to play the game. And when people do that, a lot of times it's just because they tend to think through things in a particular way. They maybe need a very logical, structured way of approaching play. And so it's helpful for them to have these models. Um, I get what you're saying, though, because I get I get a little ticked off when I when 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 somebody walks in with these assumptions that, you know, X, Y and Z is the way to play. And if you don't play that way, you're not doing it correctly. Do you know what I mean, I don't, I don't I don't like people that I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to think. And I don't I like, I don't like what's people... good and what isn't good, too. Like, that always bothers me. It's like I, I'm a human being, too. I can determine that for myself. Yeah. I can develop my own tastes. Like it would be like somebody coming in and telling me I shouldn't like the coffee that I'm drinking. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not from, you know, this vendor or, you know, the well, beans right. aren't roasted properly. What? That is, a, that is a, a thing that's not just specific about our hobby. It's, it's really not. The reason I'm worried about it with our hobby, the reason I ever worry about it is because of how influenced our hobby is by that kind of, of thinking. There's, You're not going to have a lot of coffee drinkers get their ideas about which coffee to drink completely warped with that kind of small scale criticism. Oh, but I think you will. Like, I, I, think, I think, I think, I think that stuff is prevalent throughout the culture. I think, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, I think that's how people are. I think people buy it. Like, Cause I remember, for example, this is a very stupid example, but do you know that movie sideways came out like 2004 or five. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah, yeah, with uh, Paul Giamatti and yeah. he eats Merlot for some. Yeah, yeah, Merlot. yeah. And there's so a scene. Like, this is all crap. I hate Merlot. Yeah, I, I'm not drinking Merlot, right? There's that big quote. I worked at a restaurant when that came out, and all of a sudden we had we had people coming in who wouldn't drink Merlot. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that God. wasn't a thing before that movie. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it was in in that particular area of California where that war. You know, I don't know, but but it, in in Massachusetts it wasn't it wasn't something that I I had encountered at the restaurant. People drank Merlot freely. Um, and, and they were giving me unusual reasons for why they wouldn't drink Merlot. And so, again, if you don't like Merlot, you don't like Merlot. I don't care. Merlot. Um, Wait, okay, so I thought that was a joke in that movie because the last thing he drinks in it is a Merlot blend. Like his, his vaunted bottle he's so happy about. It's been too long since I've seen... uh, The only thing I remember about that movie is him being on the toilet reading while his friend wants to go on their trip into wine country. And the woman punching him at one point. Those are like the two parts of the film I remember. Um, oh, and the car accident when they hit the tree. But um, I, th- I thought the whole Merlot thing was like a red herring where he didn't want to admit how much he liked it or something. Like, I didn't realize people were taking that at face but, value. But, but here's the thing. I don't know how many people actually saw the movie. It might have just been... The, the trailer, they kept playing that I'm not drinking Merlot bit. And I don't know. I, I just know that I suddenly saw a lot of customers who wouldn't drink Merlot, and I heard a lot of a lot of conversations about how terrible Merlot was, and and I got to and again I'm not a wine drinker I, I'm not a big wine drinker I would usually just drink Chianti or something but when I was there we had to drink the uh, we had to drink the wines so that we we could tell people you know how they tasted and I always really liked Merlot I thought it was I thought it was just a, yeah, an agreeable wine body and, yeah and thick and it's got a good meat to it. I like Merlot. I like the old vine. I like old vine Zinfandel stuff too. But like Merlot's great. But but I think I think what it is is people nice. want to appear sophisticated. They want to appear like they're intelligent. They want to appear like they are uh, you know sufficiently I don't know cultured and mm. and so you know 
because I, I, I mean, I had the same experience when I when I got online and I saw all the conversations about gaming, and there were all these complex terms being thrown around. It was like going into a university and somebody speaking like you know, you know, all the lingo lingo of deconstructionism or something, and it kind of enchants you, and you and you and you want to act like you can do it too, so that you fit in. You know, that's just, that's I think people core. want to fit in. That's what it boils down to. But um, is the way that we do that being hypercritical of things that we don't understand or know about? That doesn't seem very, I don't know, that doesn't seem sophisticated to me. That seems dumb. No, but what I'm saying is I think, I think what people are doing is they're adopting the language of people that they believe are sophisticated and, and, and they're trying, you know what I'm saying? Because they, oh, they, they can confidently critique things, you mean? Oh, I get yeah. you. You know what I'm saying? Gosh, like, that's a real, uh, that's like a teenager way of doing it, though. But that's, but I, well, I think, I think people, but, but again, that these were adults coming into the restaurant with yeah. the Merlot. You know, I, I think, I think people do it through their whole life. And, and, I, and again, my point was just that I don't want somebody coming in telling me what kind of game to play, what kind, what style of adventure to run, what, what coffee to drink. I don't like being told what to do. I think most people don't like being told what to do, um, and 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 it's you know just you you can determine for yourself if uh, if if you like the style of adventure that you're running and playing. Do you know what I mean? You don't need you don't need the approval of RPGNet you know, or any site, you know. And like you don't you don't even have to have a, a workable theory for why you like something. I think a lot of times we can get kind of lost in theory crafting or lost in justifying why we like what we like. Man, I, I like the heavy metal movie. It's not even a great movie. I just enjoy it. I don't need a reason that's deeper than that. I don't have to go into film theory to tell you why I like it. It's, I dig it. I know a lot about animation. I know a lot about the history. I know about the, the, the background of heavy metal magazine. I know about the culture that spawned it. I know about film theory. But dude, I like heavy metal because it's got Blue Oyster Cult in it in that one scene, and a dude's a whole body melts off at one point. I don't need a deeper reason to enjoy heavy metal than that. Well, and, and not everything has to be done at the critical level. Like not everything has to be like like again, we had that discussion on Bohemian Rhapsody, and the big division there was, you know, m the vast majority of audiences loved it, and critics were much more mixed in their response to the movie, and 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 I think you can get overly jaded overly uh you know just overly snobbish about this stuff because i mean it's it's a game you know it's you know we're, play, we're playing games with our friends and the, it's like you would never be this way about poker right or monopoly yeah or, or monopoly yes. or anything like that you would you would never get all you would never like ruin a perfectly good evening <clears throat> with theory craft uh or with with being overly critical there's a place for it like if the game's not fun that's when that's when being critical is valuable. Do you know what I mean? But just being critical in a vacuum and then, and then, you know, expecting that to sort of be overlaid on your gaming experience, I think is, is maybe short-sighted. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we're drifting too far from the original topic. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. What, what are you thinking? Sorry, my thing was on mute. So my kid was oh. over. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm trying to reduce the kid volume. I got both of them post holidays, so I got all these toys rattling right. around, like over here. Um, no, I was, I was thinking it probably is actually possible to get so knowledgeable about game theory and game design that it does kind of ruin your interaction with games. Because I've had found that happening to me a lot, at least recently, where I'm like, um, like with Clue. Uh, is a good example. I was playing Clue recently with my kids, and I realized that there was this one technique I could use 
that made like was almost like seventy times as efficient as any other way you could play Clue. Mm-hmm. It's really what you do with Clue is you you roll your dice and you move around different rooms, and then in that room you propose three different elements. You know, the the it's this room and this person killed them and they used this weapon, and everyone else like if anyone else has it, like in turn, one of them will show you a card that is one of those things. And all of the the red herrings are in people's hands as, as secret cards, and the whole game is to to get all the red herrings out of the way and then make a daring, uh, uh, basically figure out what cards are in the little folder that it's the actual room the guy got killed in, who killed him, and what they killed him with. And I realized that if I stayed in the same room that I already had and guessed a weapon or a person that I already had in my hand, the only thing, like I, I would immediately know whether or not. Um, I, I the the anyone else had the missing element in their hand, so like if uh, if I know that it's not the candlestick and I know it's not the billiard room, then I can imme- I can really quickly and efficiently figure out who killed him by just guessing different names in the same room with the same so, weapon by so removing them. So I have two questions because it's been a while since I played Clue. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you had to move from room to room in order to do that. I thought you couldn't just stay in one room. And do I have to, but even then, there are rooms with secret passageways that don't require a die roll, and you can just move between those two rooms, and if you have both of them, there you go. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I, that, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about it, because it's been a while since I've played Clue. But I, mean, uh, but, I mean, let's say, for the sake of argument, what you're talking about is a sound strategy. Hey, I don't shut think, up. I don't think it's a problem for a game to reward sound strategy right like if you're if you found a way to maximize your chances of success the game should reward you right so what's the problem there we go sorry oh that's okay reducing reducing kid noise the, the problem is that if you aren't on the page with that strategy you're not even playing the game that dude's gonna win and like that's a good game who's well designed but in a in a very simple game that wasn't designed that well like, uh, and there's a, like even Monopoly is actually better designed than that. But there's a few games that I've gotten recently. Uh, like Cards Against Humanity is a good example. But like, there are games that aren't designed super well. Oh, Exploding Kittens! There, that's one I got. Uh, that's one my kids got for for Christmas. We were playing Exploding Kittens. There, there are a few strategies, and like, there's only kind of a certain few different ways to play the game. And after you get to that point, it's sort of a die roll who wins. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's a lot of places they could have like deepened strategy or, or made the game better. And you see all of those flaws as a person who designs games. And then when you're playing the game, you're just like, I'm not not having fun because I can see the better game this could have been, and it's sort of wrecking the crappy but, game I'm playing. And but I mean, but like most people that are going to those games, they're not going to them for the deeper strategy. They're going to them because they're more basic, right? Like, like if I like yeah, if but, I play Monopoly. You know, half of it is the fun of watching somebody get go into bankruptcy. Do you know what I mean? It's like the oh, it's the there's a monopoly strategy I did too. Um, you can buy all the houses and never upgrade mm-hmm. to hotels and run out of houses. Nobody else can build up to that point. Okay, that, again, it's been a while since I played Monopoly, but um, but my so yeah, you can actually have a monopoly in the housing market and just never upgrade any further, and uh, you've got an advantage no one else can get all of a sudden. Is you have to trade four houses for a hotel. Wait. So if you just line three or six properties with as many houses as you can buy, there's like nowhere near enough for anyone else to buy up to get motels. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I, yeah but you still got to manage to do. I mean, but people could try, if people realize you're doing that, can't they try to thwart that strategy? Yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, because really, what you get into is they can get halfway to where you were going and limit you by halfway. Okay. And it's only one person I mean, can do that, really. I mean, I've seen because Monopoly comes up a lot in these discussions where people talk about how it's badly designed and stuff like that. And I don't think so. I, I, I think just some dominant strategies. Well, here's the thing: whenever I hear somebody say that's bad design or that's bad writing or that's bad filmmaking, I'm automatically suspicious of what they're saying because they're not <laughs> giving me anything specific. They're just saying that's bad <laughs> filmmaking. And then, yeah, and, then, and then they might, and then they might go lens flare, or they might go, you know, passive right. voice, very or they might basic. say, I'm like, you can't say a lens flare yeah. is bad. There was a lens flare at the very in uh, the very beginning of The Shining, and it was fine. Yeah, yeah or they might say, uh, you know, uh, lack of meaningful choices. Do you know what I mean it? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like whatever, whatever the, the deeper there. Yeah. Well, well, I get, but the problem is whatever. It only matters if people are going to the game because they want meaningful choices. Do you know what I mean? But True. a lot of games, that's not what people are looking for. Um, that actually reminds me, as far as meaningful choices in RPGs go, this other thing that came up in that discussion is that some people love railroads. What are your thoughts on that? That Lack of meaningful choices in a role-playing game. You're basically on the rails. You're going to get the same scenes more or less no matter what. Well, How do well, you feel about it? We're getting, we're getting lean on time, but I guess, I guess we might as well segue into this topic, which is I'm right now working on... Um, on a mystery sandbox for beginners and for people that are um, accustomed <laughs> to adventure paths, right? And <laughs> and and that's something I'm discovering is that you know I like to do sandbox mysteries. I like to do sandbox. One audience that I have a lot of trouble reaching are people that like Pathfinder and like Five E and like sort of the more event-driven style adventure or the more <laughs> structured, not necessarily like a railroad, but like a structured linear type adventure. Um, yeah, they, what they call the adventure paths. They've yeah. been pretty popular lately. And, and, and I'm realizing <laughs> that one of the reasons why... There's two reasons. Number one, there are players who they want to have an evening that isn't wasted on them. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to sit there twiddling their thumbs while they're trying to figure out the puzzle or they're trying to get from point A to point B. They want to have a solid evening of entertainment that has all the bells and whistles they expect. And there are GMs who want the... They, they, they don't want to have to have a hard time or a struggle running the adventure. They want they want a fairly predictable, foreseeable series of events that they can plan and manage as they happen. Um, and that's the biggest hurdle for me is getting to that kind of getting to that sort of audience. If that's what people like, though, I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. That part of that is going to be that they want those things, but they also want the powerful, dramatic impact of those things in literature and film which is what those are inspired by. So it's more than just wanting something that's predictable. They want something that's impactful, like emotionally, and, and has all those beats that they're familiar with from what they're inspired by. Well, there are those people too. That's a whole other thing as well. Um, but I'm just I'm just saying, just even in terms of just people that are, uh, there seem to be a lot of, like one of the things I'll hear is, like my adventures tend to have a lot of moving parts. And I tend to, you know, uh, not have a whole lot of, um, you know, it's not really linear structure to them. And so players who, who are more comfortable with adventure paths and stuff, they'll have, they'll have criticisms of, 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 of the structure. And so I think that, I, think, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if, if, if somebody wants a linear adventure, I'm not, who am I to stop them? Like, why, why should I care that that's what they want? And why should I tell them they're wrong if they're having a good time playing a linear adventure? When it comes to railroading specifically, and I think that's a little bit of a different thing, railroading is when, 
the players try to do something and the GM says, no, this is going to happen. You know, this ah, is sure. this is what I've decided for the evening. You know, it's, it's a much more aggressive GMing the style. GM overstepping their bounds. Like we were talking earlier about how uh, one of the th- the GM, the, the player authority is players kind of overstepping the traditional bounds of players and becoming kind of mini GMs. Yeah. This is the opposite of that. Railroading is when a GM oversteps their bounds and starts dictating the things that the characters, the players control do. That's a lie. GMs don't get to do that. Well, it's well, it's that, but it's also, but 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 it's it's say the it's sort of it's the quantum ogre thing. It's the you know, you know, you either whichever direction you go, the adventure is going to happen. Would be an example of railroading, or, um, you know, uh, you know, no matter what you do, this villain is always going to come back, and we're going to have this big final bite fight with him. Regard, you know, no matter what steps you take, no matter what reasonable measures you've taken to to reduce the to reduce the likelihood of him showing up he's going to show up because that's what i want um you can also railroad during combat you could you could fudge in order to make sure certain outcomes happen things like that um i i so i think i think it's uh i think it's more about the the way that gm is making decisions about things and the way yeah, that there, there was even a, a discussion again going back to that same thread about the justification of fudging roles again something i just don't do if, if the, like I, I'm a big fan of rolling in front of the players. A lot of cases, like whether it's attack roll from the monsters, I'll almost universally say he needs to roll this to attack you. Take up the die and then roll it in front of the players instead of the other side of the screen because it's more impactful to the players. It feels like they're being attacked by the thing, and then they know if they get hit, that's that. Same thing yeah. with whenever they're rolling to hit. A lot of GMs will like obfuscate what roll you need. I don't. I'm like you need to roll this to hit. I won't usually tell them how much damage they have left and hit, hit points, but I'll usually be pretty clear when I'm translating the number of hit points left to how messed up the guy is or how big the blow, the, the how hard the blow landed. So, like, I like that transparency and the idea that you could roll behind a screen and make up whatever result you want is alien to me. I'm like, why would you roll the dice if you already had a result in mind? Does well, that happen? I think I think what I mean, number one there is that sort of saying of you know only roll if you're willing to accept the outcome of the roll, but sometimes too I mean it depends on what you're rolling for. Like if the dice produce a result that doesn't make sense, I think the GM should fudge in that case. Do you know what I mean? Like if the if the result is nonsensical or bizarre, then you know maybe the GM didn't realize the probabilities of a certain roll when the roll was made, or maybe maybe the GM didn't realize there was a problem with the system that was being used and the system is producing this strange result. So having a human GM there to, to, to say, oh, that is a mistake, that, I think that's when fudging makes some sense. Uh, right. Or if you do happen to roll Pleosaur on the third level of a dungeon in a 10 by 10 room, okay, maybe maybe you can you can switch that one out or scratch that result out or something. But the, there's a difference between correcting what is clearly a mistake and deciding what is more dramatic or how something yeah. should go. Yeah, like that's the line between just being a, a reasonable GM and fudging in this way that's, in yeah. my estimation, really toxic to a game. Well, well, here's what I would say about that. I, number one, I don't fudge in those circumstances. I don't, I don't fudge at all, really. But, but especially yeah. in those circumstances, I would not fudge. Um, however, I feel like that's a situation where people are coming to the game for totally different reasons. Like, I don't give a damn if uh, if something non dramatic happens in the final fight with my, my big game. What I care about is 
we're having the big final fight and I have no idea how it's going to pan out. What's going to happen? Do you know what I mean? That's as a GM, that's what's exciting to me. But I do realize there are a lot of players who they get thrown off when something exciting doesn't happen. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if they struck a rock on them and that worked. Oh, well, well, for example, there are players who don't like, you know, you know, uh, when, when a character's killed non-dramatically by a stray arrow or something silly like that. Um, I don't know. I don't care if that's if that's what they don't like. Then they shouldn't. They should. Maybe they should fudge. I don't know. Um, you know, I, it, it doesn't bother me if that's what they're doing. What bothers me is people then saying that I should be doing that because my games need to be dramatic the way they want their games to be dramatic. Some and, some people really do have a problem with like inglorious character death, and I think I, I understand that because I don't. You don't see a lot of like. And then Bilbo stepped on a poison needle and died, and the quest yeah. was over. Yeah. But, like, if you don't, like, if you're not so invested as an audience in the quest having a successful conclusion, you're a lot more, like, forgiving about he stepped on a poison needle and died. But, but, let's, I think that's, like, but let's talk about okay. that one, because that's a good example. Like, Bilbo steps on a poison needle and dies, like, very first day, right? Like, yeah. Like, that's what's, to me, that's what's interesting about an RPG. That's why I would play an RPG. You know, because it's different than a book where Bilbo, you know, everything that happens to Bilbo is already written down on the pages and it's all predetermined. You know, like, yeah, you know he's going to live because there's more book. Well, you know? and even even if I don't know, it's already the, yeah. the outcomes like you can turn to the last page of Lord of the Rings and it's never changing. Do you know what I mean? Unless some mm. unless some editor goes crazy and, <laughs> you know, and, and adds a bunch of stuff that shouldn't be there. But like, the, you know, it's all set in stone pretty much. In a game, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Bilbo, you know, leaves the Shire and a rock could fall on his head and kill him. You don't know. And so it's not dramatic, but it's a little bit more like history. It's why, it's why people were interested in Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones came out. Because it was, it was writing stories in a way that weren't predictable. Do you know what I mean like you didn't know? Yeah. You know, I remember that and, being a high yeah. praise of, of uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, and and it wasn't just this sort of automated trope turning. Do you know what I mean? It was. It was. No, it was, it was very. Yeah, it was like this is play because because again, I was a history student. We talked about this before the the podcast. If you read a lot of history, people die all the time of stupid things. You know, uh, you know, emperors die of infections. The you know, two years into their reign, right before something dramatic is supposed to happen, and. Uh-huh. You know, that's just the way things are. So, and that's kind of more exciting than if history played out like some grand opera. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, uh, True. because it's shocking. Thing, like, what's that? Because it's a little bit shocking. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes, it's, shocking is a good word. It's, okay, so, and I, I think there's some, there's some kind of brotherly connection between the GM impulse to roll on a table to see whether or not an ogre is there and the player impulse. To, to roll a saving throw to see whether or not their guy dies early on in the campaign, whether or not he gets his vengeance on the person who killed his parents or not. Mm-hmm. There, there's some there's something there that 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 wish for like that need to be surprised and to not be able to predict the outcome and not necessarily follow into the footsteps of tropes and things. There's some there's some satisfaction gained from that that's missing in these more structured story based kind of narrative games and. It's very different tastes. I think that the the core of that well, is having a very different well, he, taste. Of what well, here's one thing I will say about narrative games. I think narrative games are also into the lack of predictability because I, uh, in a lot of my conversations with the people at StoryGames.com, one of the things that I've 
I discovered that I didn't quite understand about narrative games before is mm-hmm. they're kind of after like the uh, Coen Brothers sort of experience. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like they're so, not necessarily after the Lord of the Rings type experience where everything kind of happens as it should. Do you know what I mean? Where the, 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 they're, they're into games that would invite sort of a cataclysmic, disastrous outcome. Of, you know what I'm saying? So, so I think I think I, I don't I think I think this is more basic. I think this is just something you see a lot in the hobby in general, and you really see it in the more mainstream wing of the hobby, not in the not in the sandbox sector, not in the narrative sector, but in the mainstream is where you really see it. And it's the expectation of drama unfolding as it should, rather than just acknowledging it's a game and it has mechanics, and the mechanics are unpredictable, and you want to play to that strength. A little bit or you want to at least you want to at least play to what the medium is you know you want to uh and the medium is again it's more like history because unless unless the system itself is rigged to produce that kind of drama which it could be um you know it's 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 really more ideal for you know just sort of allowing things to unfold in a in a way that sort of feels almost almost like history, do you know what I mean? Like if you look at like any campaign that that you've been in, you could write about it as if it were history. It probably wouldn't make a very good story if you wrote it 100 percent accurate. You'd be surprised. A thing that I like to do later on in a campaign when it's wrapping up is have the players stumble into an opera or a theater troupe mm-hmm. doing their adventures. Okay. Like I love that, especially whenever they accidentally stumble onto stage, and so they think it's an actor playing the part of one of the characters, but it's actually the real character. Okay. It's even better when they get the history subtly wrong. They did that at the end of the uh, Avatar of the Last Airbender show. Is like instead of having a recap episode where we see a bunch of clips, they animated a full episode where a bunch of theater troupe guys were reenacting the whole series up to that point, and it okay. was amazing because they no. miscast everybody. And it was just really fun. But let me so. ask you this: When that happens, do you edit the events so that they're more entertaining in the hands of the of the of the opera troupe and the actors? Is it a uh, oh yeah, like because I I think about it in terms of what if if a theater troupe or a screenwriter or someone got a hold of this, what would they ham up? What would yeah. their deci- what would their creative decisions be about how to kind of reframe these characters? So someone who's like really subtle and straight laced might become like a goofy, wacky hijinks character. Someone who's really huge and intimidating might be small but very serious and straightforward, and so their intimidation plays to the strength of the actor that was cast in the role not necessarily the actual strength the person had. And so, like, the audience's version of them, the play's version of them, is different enough that it calls attention to them, which okay. is really fun. So, But, but again, you know, what I, what I would say here is I think, um, I think you know, one, one of my uh, shortcomings as a GM and as a, in, in, in the design is I'm not as connected with that mainstream way of thinking. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I'd be a fool if I didn't acknowledge that 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 is, you know, I mean, it it is what it is. That's, that's how most people probably like to engage these kinds of games. And so, uh, I could sit there and scream at the heavens and say, there's everything wrong with it in the world. You know, I, I, what I'd rather do is I'd rather play the kind of games that I like to play the way I like to play them. And if I'm running a game for a more mainstream group, try to adapt so that I can, no, well, that's that might be a, a discussion for another time. We are actually kind of getting to it at this point. Yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we've got well over an hour at this point. Um, <laughs> and I know I told but you, but it's been a fascinating discussion. 
No, it is. It, it has been a fascinating discussion. Um, and it started with the quantum ogre and somehow we ended up here. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think, I think we're both sort of getting to the, the end of our, our, our list of points anyways. But, but I, but I guess what I'm, what I am saying is, uh, you know, even though I'm critiquing the idea of, of, uh, you know, games having to be dramatic. I'm only critiquing because I'm saying they don't have to be. I'm not saying you can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's certainly, you know, a way that people game and it's, a, and it's, it's, uh, and it's got a, a lot of popularity in the mainstream wing of the hobby. And so, uh, I, 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 I just, um, I, I just don't personally enjoy it as much that way. It's just not my cup of tea as a player or as a GM. Um, but but you can get easily caught up in in sort of like what we were talking about before where it's like but that becomes your ideology and then you, you know then when yeah. you meet a group of five people who who have a blast doing that you're like the one guy in the group who's just nitpicking do you know what i mean yeah it's, and here's the thing i've been a part of games that are as far as i can tell railroads and i've had fun with them you, yeah. can, you can get along with people beyond necessarily getting the exact thing that you've already decided. Oh, yeah. That, that goes both ways. I'm not saying that I have a superior, like, stance here. I have my preferential one, and I feel like I'm able to articulate the reasons why I prefer it. But that doesn't mean I get to be a dick. Well, I think, I think if you're joining a group, the onus is on you to adapt to the group a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I, I think that kind of is sort of ultimately what we were talking about this whole time. Because we mentioned at the start... The guy who shows up with like his game theory and refuses to have fun with the group because he's got this one idea of how a game is supposed to be run. I think ultimately what we're saying is don't be that person, whatever the idea is. You know, like uh, like a, like you know if if it's if it's a bad fit, you can just say, hey, this group isn't for me, and leave. But, it does happen. Yeah, but don't and like also don't be afraid to give feedback and talk to the people that are like running it in the game. Like just give them your perspective. If you have really good reasons for liking the stuff you like, they're presumably like if they're gaming with you, they probably are interested in what you have to say about stuff. Well, don't joke about it. I would add a caveat there. I think you're right, but I feel like all too often when I get that guy in the group, what Mm. what is his approach is usually like, "Here's what you guys are doing wrong and what you need to do to improve the game." Do you know what I mean? Like they might not say it that way, but that's basically what's being said. Don't assume it's superior. You guys need to bone up on these ideas or whatever. Just tell the person your preferences. Just tell them what you like. And they'll meet them as well as they can. But if there's four other people in the group and they have no interest in what you're interested in, it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? You're going to get, yeah. you're only going to get so much or, you know, the GM might placate you enough, but, but you know, there's only so, so, so much adjustment that can be made if four other people are demanding something entirely different from you. And, mm. and I, and I think, um, I think th- this is, this is what I would say. Several years ago, there was a discussion about um, spaghetti sauce from that, um, uh, what's his name, Malcolm Gladwell or whatever the guy's name is with the funny hair. Mm. Um, he had this great discussion, which makes total sense uh, about about products and taste and how uh, and, and 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 how they 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 figured out that there were like three styles of spaghetti sauce basically or pasta sauce that that people like and and so the, you know the, and so people applied that to the gaming discussion. You know, say well, there's like three styles of of, of adventure, and it's like it's true. Except <coughs> nobody eats single serve spaghetti sauce when in a family. You always make yeah. you always make a giant pot of spaghetti sauce for everybody, and you have to make a pot a pot of sauce that 
everybody at the table is able to eat. And so yes. you can't make the ideal hands. That's yeah. what happens. So, so what the, the end result is often not the ideal, you know, if I was just going for this one thing, this is what I would do. It's often a much more, uh, you know, uh, Again, it's 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 you you know you it's you're you're trying to appeal to five or six different people at the table, and so, you know, if 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 one guy likes it really salty and another guy hates salt, the salt is going to be at a much more median level than than perhaps either of them would prefer if they were doing a single serve. But that's just not how people consume it. That's not how it's done. Um, mm-hmm. And a game is exactly the same way. You don't you know you don't sit down with one player and give the player the one experience that they want. You got to sit down with five people and give them. A, an experience that everybody can agree on. So oh, yeah, and it's fine to, it's fine to discuss your your preferred flavor of spaghetti sauce. It's fine to eat a plate and not enjoy it, and to discuss it with everyone. Maybe you'll enjoy the next one a little more. It'll happen. It'll take a little while. It's an adjustment period. Let it happen. So, it's a social activity. We know how to do this stuff. I don't know. So I think that's probably one of our weak points. It's certainly one of mine. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I. Uh, you know, gamers we're not known for our uh, our, our, our our social our, our social talents, but uh, this, is, this is true. Granted, which is but, why I think that's why a lot of this happens. I think a lot of us are just you know we're not that skilled at these kinds of discussions all the time. Socially um, awkward nerds getting together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, you know we really are going well over. I need to get back to my book that I'm supposed to be blogging about. And, yeah, uh, and I need to get presume... back to uh, finishing up the playtest for Lone Wolf Fist, which yeah. is almost done. It's really close. So uh, we should we should do a playtest report on here when uh, when you are uh, when you were set with that. Um, I'll, I'll try to get your thoughts on it here in a minute once we're off of here. So. But um, but yeah, so we'll let you go, and um, I'm not sure exactly what's going to be on this week because the holidays may be sort of throwing a wrench into things, but. I still have to watch Magic Swords. I was going to do that today, so I've got a couple of things. So, well, uh, you and I are going to do 36 Chamber of Shadow. You know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we just do Magic Sword? Uh, sorry, no, Magic Blade. Magic Blade. Um, and uh, the you know the 70s version, not the one that you were... Uh, again, the one you were showing me, number one, that's a TV series. Number two, I think what they did with that one was they took a whole series and they edited it down to like two like oh, no. feature-length movies. Or I don't know exactly what they did, but oh, no. I watched that series when it came out and... I had to stop because the subs, the subs became so unintelligible that I couldn't follow it anymore. But I got about seventeen episodes in or something. And, Fair uh, enough. I, well, I did watch Thirty Six Chambers of Shaolin. I do want to talk about that. Because okay, we then we'll do that too. Chambers. We'll do that too. We'll do that too. Um, and uh, and yeah. So until then, we will talk to you later and have a great day. Bye.